Suburban Folk is excited to be working with our sponsor, Podcast Production School. If you've ever wanted to learn the hard skills that are necessary to support your favorite podcast shows, Podcast Production School has you covered. They're an online course designed to help you master the skills and strategies needed to launch, manage, and grow podcasts. They help you learn everything from audio editing to show note creation to marketing and promotion. You can get started learning the process by downloading their free podcast production or launch checklist strategy. Visit podcastproductionschool.com slash go slash suburban. That's podcastproductionschool.com slash go slash suburban. When you sign up, be sure to use the code suburban dollar sign 100. That's capital S suburban dollar sign 100 to get $100 off your order. Health, travel, finance, parenting, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. $250 a month into my child's 529 from the month that they start kindergarten, I should be able to pay for 80% of my child's college. Because I don't trust that most people will eat their vegetables. So usually our kind of standard is three servings of vegetables per meal. You take something like a a two by six and you cut it with a circular saw. That's like a superpower. Those middle school years are not as fun, but... At that age, they're still willing to talk to you. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg. Before we get to today's scheduled topic, let's acknowledge that it's May the 4th, or official Star Wars Day. To celebrate, Disney Plus has put Episode 9, Rise of Skywalker, onto their platform. And if you go back to our Episode 15, we give a full history of Star Wars as well as a critique of the new movie. I also want to give a shout out to Simon Skipper Christensen, who was a guest on the show. His birthday is today as well. Today, we're going to focus on parenting with our guest, Wendy Gilhula. She's an educator, writer, and author of the Pika Bunny book series. Holding a bachelor's degree in education from the University of Tennessee, Wendy has created an innovative learning series that teaches understanding and kindness. Pika Bunny and the Thunderstorm, Pika Bunny has a big question, and Pika Bunny says Eep, feature life lessons children often face in a complicated world and presents tools to help them navigate such complexities with bravery, understanding, and kindness. Her books are a yearly feature at the New York City Book Expo America and BookCon. She has devoted her career spanning over 20 years to helping children. A former dance teacher, she has specialized in supporting creative expression. As a math tutor, she has a unique ability for relating to children in a way that promotes excellence. Her books have been recommended by therapists, counselors, activists, and teachers alike. Wendy, thanks so much for joining the show today. I appreciate it. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. I've got a little bit of a cold, so I'll be sipping on a warm cup of tea, and maybe somebody's sipping on something warm where they are today. I'll try to make sure that we stay on topic so you don't have to talk too much uh, away from what we have on tap today. Can you walk us through your background and how you ultimately got into writing children's books and what your motivation for that was? Well, sure. My first career was in choreography, modern dance choreography and instruction. And during that time, I wasn't married yet when I first started out. And I just had stories that I wanted to tell that I usually told through dance. But this particular story that turned out to be Pika Bunny has a big question was a story that I actually wanted to put down on paper. And it was so long ago, it was on a typewriter. I used a typewriter and I only had one copy. And I sent it off to a publisher and it got rejected because the publisher said that kindness was not relevant. And I was so embarrassed. I hid it away in a drawer for decades, finished my dance career, 
started my math career. And then one of my students, Adam, asked me, just very innocently, this middle schooler said, asked me, what do you do all day when you're not tutoring? And in my head, I said, I write books that kids are never going to read. And I didn't like that inner dialogue. So I got courage and I opened that bottom drawer where it had been in and out of that drawer many, many times over, you know, two decades where I had thrown it in the trash and then dug it back out. This time I was going to dig it back out for the last time. And a couple of years later, I have five books. Were the subjects that you were writing about that got stored away in drawers, did you have a bunch of different stories or were they the same primary ones that you've ultimately come out with? Well, the first one, Pika Bunny has a big question. I didn't know about the American pika or the American pika, the little cousin to the rabbit that's just been discovered in the United States. I didn't know about it yet. So Jack was a white bunny with long ears. So I had to research other rabbits because there were enough white bunnies with long ears. I wanted something different. And then I found the American pika, which scientists are trying to get on the endangered species list. And I thought, oh, if I ever, ever could get published, how fun would it be to talk to children all over the world and the country about this adorable little animal. So I had, did change my main character. Pika Bunny and the Thunderstorm was actually the first book that got um, produced. And it was a story that I made up when I was six years old. And it's how I was terrified and very anxious of every thunderstorm, every element, the wind, the thunder, the rain, the lightning, all of it. So I made up this little story for myself. So that manuscript wasn't on paper, but it it was something that I told myself, you know, for years and years. And then the third book is called Pika Bunny Says Eep. And my neighbor and friend, um, Mary Alice, said, when do you need to do a book with Pika Bunny and talking about bullying? And I thought, bullying? How do you talk about bullying? I can't write a book about bullying because you can hardly even bring it up. So I went to the library. First, I said no for months. And then I got brave again. And I thought, well, you know what? I could just go to the library. Mary Alice doesn't have to know I'm working on it yet. And I'll go and read all the children's books I can find on bullying. And I did. And I started thinking to myself, okay, these there's some great stories here. But the adults are always the one to solve the problem. And adults don't always solve the problem. At least, you know, when I was getting bullied. And I thought, how can kids solve their, so help solve the problem? Or how can kids find their own voice to say no to bullying? So that's how that third manuscript came about. I have a coloring book that goes with the Pika Bunny series. And then I have a separate book in a different series. It's called Mother's Best. And it's for preschoolers and babies. And it's a little rhyming book about mama helps um, Robin learn to fly because that's how it's supposed to be. With some of the subject matter that you're trying to take on. So you mentioned the book about kindness and the initial reaction is, why would there be a book about that? And then to your point that awareness of bullying seems to be a relatively new topic. Have you intentionally been in the forefront of kids' issues or did it just come naturally some other way? 
Yeah, I do. I do tend to write about social issues. And I think it's because from all my dance background, dances are supposed to tell stories. And if I'm going to tell a story personally for myself, if I'm going to tell a story, I would hope that it would be a story where it would be important to somebody. So that's why I chose the social issues. I, I didn't, I think it was a subconscious thing. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to write, you know, about social issues and I'm going to write about, you know, uh, feelings and anxiety and all. It just, I think it just happened. I think it's just part of my personality. And did you also find that there was a lack of books that were addressing these particular topics when you set out to write stories specifically aimed at kids? Well, when I did first send that manuscript off, it was almost 30 years ago. Kindness was not a problem. People were, you know, common courtesy. I, I just, um, I just posted about that on LinkedIn today. People have forgotten. Some people were adults were like, Oh yeah, I forgot about common courtesy, common courtesy. Just, you know, to, to say goodbye when you leave or hello when you come in room, some things happened to, uh, to us where we just stopped doing those little things. And today that's thought of, uh, thought of as kindness where almost 30 years ago we had Mr. Rogers. We had, well, we always have Sesame street, but Mr. Rogers really embodied kindness and um, respect. And we didn't really have to teach. We, we did teach common courtesy to say hello. If we met somebody things like that, how to answer a phone, things like that. But I think, you know, since technology has changed so much, it changes our behavior. And I'm not against technology, so (laughs) I'm not trying to knock it because I have two apps, so I'm not trying to knock it at all. But everything in moderation, to say the least, I think. And there's a lot for parents to be able to sort through, especially for kids. I mean, I've talked about on some of our parenting shows I can firsthand vouch for a difference in my kids' behavior when they've had a session on a tablet and how they react when it's either taken away forcefully (laughs) or they, you know, give it up. There really is this downtime, like they've come off a bender or something like that. So I think for most people that have kids, uh, certainly toddler age, they would attest that there is certainly something going on in the way that it affects their behavior that you need to watch it and not necessarily uh, let kids have full on access. And of course, there's plenty of stories out there. I think the most prominent that you hear is suggestions that these owners of companies, your Bill Gates, your Jeff Bezos, don't let their kids <laughs> with the technology, uh, probably for a lot of those reasons for the social interactions. And I think certainly uh, kindness, manners, common courtesy is potentially one of the things that suffers as we're figuring out what the best way to use the new technologies are, especially for young kids. And before we get too, too far into that topic, because there are some more questions I have for you around that, just back to even the books and how you get them created. So again, like you said, this is a 20, 30 year period where you've had the stories ready to go. I've always been interested in kids books. Yes, there's the writing, but of course there's also the illustration that goes along with it. And speaking as someone that can barely make stick figures, if I were to ever attempt a children's book, I would not be the one to illustrate it. So how did you go about 
partnering with uh, your eventual illustrators and what does that process look like? Sure. So when I first was looking for an illustrator, I didn't have my publisher yet. So I was thinking on the lines of, well, maybe I'll just self-publish and then I'll I'll give these books to my children for when they have children because my children were in college at this time. So I just, I have three different illustrators. The first illustrator I found is Adriana Allegretti and she illustrated Thunderstorm and Big Question. And I just put it on Facebook. (laughs) Does anybody know of anybody who illustrates? And I happen to, my husband happens to have a cousin who has a daughter who was a beautiful illustrator. And I was like, okay. So I, I contacted her to see if she was interested and had a contract, you know, and there we go for the first two books. And then mother's best came along and it needed an entirely different look. So I just, um, Googled, illustrators that were in my hometown, Knoxville, Tennessee, because I wanted to hire somebody local. So I found a wonderful illustrator, Alex Walker, and it was really fun. We would meet at a Barnes and Noble in town and we would just, once we had the contract, we would just, it was really fun because we'd meet once a week and she would show me what she had designed and it was really fun to work one-on-one with her. And then Pika Bunny says, Eve, I found... This is uh, Mel Schroederer on Instagram. So because I'm an author, a lot of illustrators follow authors and, and teachers will follow authors. And I was looking at her work because I started following her and then I just messaged her, messaged her through Instagram. So it's, it's really not hard. There's so many wonderful, wonderful, talented people out there. And how about the layout after that? So you would get, the illustrations from the people you're working with, did they intentionally leave certain amount of space for how the words are going to appear on the page? Who actually does that part of putting the book together? Well, by that time, when we started the illustrations, I did find a publisher. And she wanted the look to be for a children's learning series. So each publisher might have something different in mind. So she wanted a book that it's a little bit smaller than a coloring book. That It's like a reader. I don't know if you, if anybody's familiar with the little readers. Uh, it doesn't have a, a grade on the outside of it, but many of the readers that you find in bookstores and on Amazon will have like a little grade number in the corner. So you you think about eight pages you have an eight page book, 16, you know, you go, you go up by eights because that saves money. So then you take your manuscript and you divide it where you want it divided. And then the illustrator, it depends on what you're doing. So mine's, mine's a reader. So my illustrations are pretty literal to what's on the page. But if you're doing a picture book for younger children, you can, you can do something literal that spreads across when you open when you open the spread of the book. You can do an illustration that spreads across those two pages. And that illustration can either be literal to the to the words, or you can find an illustrator that will do their own little story within the illustrations. So when the child is on your lap or listening to the book. If they're just listening to the book, they're going to 
course, just hear the words and have that part of the story. If they learn by looking, they're going to look at the illustrations and learn the story that way. And then some children like to learn by listening and by looking at the same time. So they will get, they will hear the words and either the pictures will match or or they'll focus on the story that the illustrations. Have you ever noticed that, Greg? If you're looking at picture books, that sometimes they're not literal. Yes, <laughs> I think so. Um, my kids are really doing the the golden books right now, so it seems like they're close to at least the words on the page, but not necessarily always the same. Right, right. So an illustrator can actually tell a story for you in conjunction with your with your with your words. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of why I'm curious about how that relationship goes and when somebody comes into the picture. And I assume for you driving the project, or at least in your case, driving the project, you had to really focus on the direction that you were giving the people you were working with so that they knew how much their illustrations were driving a particular page as opposed to just being a literal picture interpretation of the words on the page. I tried to give the illustrators as much license to be creative as I could, but but knowing that because it was going to be a reader, you know, there had it had to be literal as well. It couldn't be, you know, too far away from what the what the words were saying. And I wanted to own my il- own illustrations, and that worked out with my publisher because I just think it's best if you own your own, if you can own your own illustrations. It's just it's just better. I imagine it gives you more flexibility, especially when you're shopping the book to publishers, right? I would advise not to spend too, too much on an, on illustrations because if you're still shopping it around, your publisher may reject the illustrations and want to either get their own or then you'd have to buy them twice if you want to own them. So you... So you might want to just get a few illustrations, like at least the cover. I have a manuscript right now that's a chapter book. It's the first of it, the chapter book series called Pika Bunny and Friends. And the only illustrations that that I have for them is the, the cover front and back and then some little doodles that go inside. But I didn't go overboard on, on many of the illustrations because I don't know if an, another publisher would like the look of my illustrations. Don't spend too much time and money uh, getting too far into a vision if you have to be flexible with your publisher or whoever else you're working with. Right. But if you're self-publishing, go for it. Uh, is it would it be the rights that you want to maintain or even how much control you want to maintain? Uh, well, I'm not really about control. I think it's just the rights. I think that's what was leading me to have my own. I just say, I just wanted to have the right to, like, if I wanted to put Pika Bunny on a mug or a t-shirt, which I do, you know, I want to own that. I don't want to have to have permission from my publisher to do that. And I wanted to generate, I want to generate revenue from that. And jumping back to the Pika Bunny books, and you mentioned actually different illustration styles depending on the age range, what is the intended age range for the current set of books that are published? They are intended for kindergarten through second grade. But what surprised me, well, many things surprised me after I got the books published, but Pika Bunny says Eep, the book about saying no to bullying, really is 
um, I go to speak with, when I go to talk to schools, they bring in through fifth grade to talk about it. So I'd never imagined that third, fourth, and fifth, I'd be talking to them about saying no to bullying. I thought it was just going to be the younger kids because this book is a reader. And those older kids are, they are very open to the, to the story. I was curious of what the range was. It's back to what you were talking about of just kindness as something to be taught to kids. I have heard or read uh, it was a preschool teacher saying, you know, yeah, really focus on manners and kindness and attitude because compared to learning their alphabet or counting, we can get them caught up on that. But that kindness and courteousness is something that's a lot tougher to turn around if they're not coming in with a good solid foundation. So I was curious, you know, how young of an age you have people reading their books to their kids to really hit home, whether it's anti-bullying or general good manners. So what, what would be the youngest range uh, that you know of that parents are introducing their kids to these concepts? Well, these books are actually given at baby showers. So from day one or even before they're born, some people like to read to their babies before they're born um, or right after they're born. So just, there's never too early to talk about love, kindness, um, things like that. Knock on wood. Uh, hopefully <laughs> we're able to instill those kinds of concepts in with our kids. So, And we've talked a lot about love, kindness. Are there any other lessons that you're hoping to instill in the children that are reading your books that we haven't talked about? You can only put so much in a children's book for a child to absorb. When I wrote Pika Bunny has a big question, Pika Bunny asked Mama what love is. And that's a big question. It's like, what is, what is exactly love? And Mama says, love is how we act, not how we feel. And giving is the happiest love can be. And Pika Bunny, like, he doesn't understand what Mama's saying. <laughs> like, what does that mean? He knows that when she says, I love you, he feels wiggly and squiggly inside. That's how he describes it. But he, he's like, how can it be an action and not a feeling? So he goes on a little journey to prove to Mama he knows what love is. And he picks three flowers for Mama. They stand for his three favorite words for her, which are, I love you. And he, on the way home, he finds three different friends who have three different reasons why they need a flower. So it, he goes on a journey like that. So one of the one of the characters is Downy Poof Puff, and she is a prickly porcupine, and she is lonely because she nobody wants to hug her. And you know that flower makes her happy. He gives her a hug, and flower makes her happy. Then there's a rainbow butterfly, Emma Flutterbutter, and she's been flying in the hot sun. So he gives her a flower. She can rest in its shade. And then on the way home, he meets an elderly grizzly bear, old Daniel, who's asleep in his rocking chair. And Pika Bunny's thinking about, you know, he is a scary looking bear, but he's really kind and wise. So he decides to leave the flower as a special surprise for when old Daniel wakes up. And then when he gets home, he has no flowers for mama. And 
I guess you'll just have to read the rest to find out what mama said. <laughs> yeah, keep us on the cliffhanger. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're hitting on a point that I wanted to talk about. Even in the synopsis of the book, uh, there's an emphasis on love as actions rather than just the words and, like you say, the feelings. And I think that is really important in my day-to-day parenting life. That's something we try to hit home as well is if you're saying these words or you feel this way, uh, even when it comes down to playing nicely with your sibling or being told to do something you don't necessarily want to do, sort of the give and take of the family household. Again, the emphasis on actions and the old adage, actions speak louder than words. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's hard for adults to understand that. No offense to any adults. I mean, love is complicated. (laughs) Like I had to think about what is love. I had to think about that for a very long time. Sort of related to that. I know a big speech that I tend to give my kids is on the back end, if they've done something wrong and the concept of sorry, and again, the action speaking louder than words of, you know, if you're truly sorry, that means you're going to make a concerted effort to try not to do it again. <laughs> um, you know, rather than just saying it, hoping that you don't get your toy taken away or whatever they think the punishment might happen to be. True. And um, I think that saying sorry is not taught as much as maybe it could be. I'm not saying everybody has to teach their ch- ch- their child to say sorry, but there's a lack, there's a, a dire lack of, of hearing it. When they say sorry, I clarify and say, are you sorry because you're afraid you're going to lose a toy or are you sorry because you hurt someone's feelings or you did something else wrong? So I even have a two-part question to, yep, sorry is part of it, but let's make sure you're sorry for the right reasons. Right. And then, you know, as an adult, if somebody says, sorry, it's like, well, what does that even mean? Let's say you bump into somebody and you're probably saying sorry, hoping that ends any interaction <laughs> that you have to have after that. Well, yeah. And then people are like, don't say you're sorry. Somebody yelled at me about, don't, you don't, don't say you're sorry. And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> sorry. <then> right away. <laughs> it's amazing how much... Kids can mirror uh, adult behaviors. It's just a little easier to see in them. But we as adults probably hide it a little bit better is the only difference. Maybe or we think we do. <laughs> it doesn't come across that way. So let's let's move over a little bit to the app. I think you mentioned that, that you have developed an app to go along with the Pika Bunny series. Again, I know it is based around kindness. So can you talk a little bit about how you came up with that idea and how it's meant to supplement the other books that you have? Sure. So I thought the end, I thought like the end of the rainbow was actually to hold the books in my hand. And what I discovered was after I had the books in my hand and I had these wonderful opportunities to read via Skype, I have over 300 thousand Skype miles where I have read in 13 different countries to classrooms all over the world about kindness. I didn't like, I wanted, I knew I wanted to share, but I didn't know, I didn't understand the platform that I was developing. Like I wasn't trying to have a platform and I was getting ready to do a live reading on Skype. And I, the teacher already had, had me um, live on the screen, but the classroom wasn't quite ready for me to begin. So I think the children thought maybe I was a TV show or something. I'm not sure. 
But there was a, I was reading Pika Bunny has a big question. I was getting ready to rather. And I saw a little boy on the second row and he was being unkind to the person next to him, kind of trying to hide from the teacher. And I would, I don't know if it was bullying because bullying has this big definition of this repeated behavior. I'm not saying he was bullying him. I'm just saying he was being unkind. And I said, Hey, um, there's a boy on the second row and everybody looked at me like, what? <laughs> this lady's talking to us. And I said, yeah, what you in the blue shirt, what does your shirt say? And he said, Oh, my shirt says kindness is cool. And I said, Oh, that's nice. So I thought it was pretty ironic that he's wearing the kind of cool t-shirt because it is cool to wear them. It is cool to talk about kindness, but he was being unkind while he was wearing it. He didn't get that. But afterwards, I started thinking about how how kind are we? How kind am I really? Like, how can I even track that? And then I think the next morning or two mornings later, I, when I woke up, before my feet even hit the floor, I said, I'm going to develop an app which, by the way, I've never done before. <laughs> I will create this app that tracks areas of kindness at school, home, and our planet. And by goodness, by gosh, I just got up and got on my computer and researched who I needed. You know, I needed a designer. I needed, you know, a, a developer. And I have the Pika Bunny Kindness Tracker, and it's free. And a lot of people are asking me, Wendy, why is this free? I don't understand. Like, why are you giving a free app? I'm like, I, I can't. I don't feel like I can monetize a kindness app. <laughs> so you give it for free. I mean, if other people want to do that, that's fine. But this is just, you know, I'm strictly talking about my own journey. So I had this app. And in beta testing, you can see how well you're doing in those three areas. You can compare through the through a point system. And when I looked, I wasn't being as kind at home <laughs> as I was everywhere else. And I was like, what am I lacking? So I'm go I'm scrolling through all the things you can choose. It's 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 not a game. It's just basically you go to whichever page, like like saying, Oh, okay, I was I was kind at home, so I'm gonna give myself a point. And it would be like saying good morning. I wasn't saying good morning. By the time I, I by the time everybody was up in the house, I was already in business mode talking about, okay, we need to be here at two o'clock and don't forget to do this before you go to work and blah, blah, you know, like kind of business, like checking in, but not saying good morning and checking in like that. And I wasn't giving enough hugs that I could have. And, you know, maybe I was complaining about doing some chores when, you know, maybe I not complaining about it, it's kind of the kinder thing to do. That is an interesting concept of comparing the different categories to see where you're being more kind. Because when I'm first looking through the the three categories, of course, I'm scrolling to see, okay, what would be a, a check mark when you're, at, like you said, at home with friends? And I believe the other one is around like environmentally kind, correct? Yes, like recycling yeah. So of course my video game mind reads the levels one and I assume two, three. And so my first question is, Ooh, how do I level up? How does that work? But I didn't really think of it from the standpoint of comparing 
what your score is in one category to another, because I think you're absolutely right that it is something for people to keep in mind what your attitude is like at home, especially after work. You know, there's plenty of things written about when you want to come home, you want to just de-stress and not be bothered with anything. And you may have already given the best of yourself to your colleagues and, hey, you're home with your loved ones. That's really the folks that you want to give your best to. So that could definitely be a tool to your point to make sure that you are giving your best to the people that deserve your best (laughs) by definition. Right. And even just to say please and thank you, like don't, you know, to show that you you appreciate that's that goes a really long way. The kids that are interacting with the app is the intention that they would give themselves credit when they've done something or would they work alongside the parent to give them credit for the kind act? Yeah, that's been a very big question. That's that's a big question. So people in the beta testing were like, there's no reward. There's no reward. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I think being a kind person is its own reward. But how do I want to handle that? And I decided that I know that when kids get to press that little heart and the heart turns red and they think about how they helped a friend at school or they helped a teacher or they held a door open for somebody, they're going to feel wiggly and squiggly inside for themselves and be excited for themselves. Now, if parents want to set rewards and say, okay, if you um, get two levels up this week at home or our planet or whatever, we can go get ice cream or we'll have family movie night or, you know, we'll go get a book or whatever. I think the parents and the gatekeepers, because teachers use this in the classroom as well. I think the gatekeepers, if they want to have their own rewards, can set the ones that they feel are appropriate. I also think that it can keep parents honest for making sure that they are recognizing the positive action. Again, in things that I have read, it cautions parents to Yes, correct your child when something needs correcting, but oh, by the way, make sure you definitely have a focus on those positive things because that goes a long way. So maybe the reward really is as your child is checking off the heart next to the thing that they did, that's an indicator to you as a parent to make sure that you really play that up and give positive praise at that time so that the kid doesn't feel like you're always coming down on them and always correcting them. Oh, yes. And then you can hear a story maybe that you wouldn't have heard of. Like maybe your child noticed that somebody was sitting alone at at lunch and decided to make a new friend that day. And you might not have known it if you didn't have that to check off the list. Exactly. And that was, like I said, when I first brought the app up, first thing I did, of course, is look to see what the different categories were that were in there. Is there any way to add your own uh, items to any of the lists? Well, that will probably come on with the 3.0 version. We're we're in the 2.0 right now because a lot of my friends um, have told me through Facebook, in person, and on LinkedIn that they actually use this for themselves, but they substitute work for school. And I said, oh, 
I'm just going to make, I'll just make another app for adults. So the PICA app, it stands for Practicing Intentional Kindness app. That comes out in March. So it will track acts of kindness for people who want to do that for themselves, for adults in the workplace and different, a lot of different things in the workplace. Um, of course, it wouldn't be this, the same for school and then home and our planet. And that is in development right now. And it is supposed to have, you can set your own goals on how many acts of kindness you'd like to get in the day. And you can write your own. Like I'll have a list, but then you can you can edit your own. So if once that beta testing goes, I'll probably do a 3.0 for the Peak of Money Kindness Tracker where you can. But in the meantime, uh, both apps on all six pages will have a do a good deed. So if there's something not listed, you can just click on you know, did a good deed. The video gamer in me, like I said, I know when I first pulled up the app, there is a level one. So is there a concept of level two, level three? And how do I level up from the beginning stages? I think you have to do 20 acts of kindness in each category to level up in that category. And then you have a combined total will be your your Pika bunny level on the first page. When you do level up, is there, I don't know, a graphic or anything else that uh, the kids would see? There's no reward, Greg. <laughs> I'm looking for that payoff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I get what you're saying, but I, I want, I want the feeling of how it feels to be genuinely kind to be the reward, because I think that's what builds character. Because this, to me, is really important. It's not a game. It's life. <laughs> right. Or even the concept of just, it's focus on the journey, not the end of the road. You can't, they can't opt out. It's going to be, you, it'll go forever. It's not something that you're looking for an ending. Is there any coinciding with the app that would go with the book series? I think the app is basically... It's pretty close to Pika Bunny has a big question because it talks about love and kindness. And you can open your own conversations with your own children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or about kindness. So it, it's, it's supplemental, but it's not, they're independent. They're both, they're independent of each other, but you can use the app, especially with Pika Bunny as a big question. You could start it off that way. And then, Pika, you could introduce Pika Bunny doing different things with Pika Bunny Says Eep and Pika Bunny in the Thunderstorm. And what's interesting about the thunderstorm is you don't have to have a child that's afraid of thunderstorms to get that book because a lot of the feedback from the parents, educators, and even the hospital staff where I, where I read is that children might have an approaching storm coming in their lives. And it talks about how to look at something that could be potentially scary and and in your mind realize that it probably does have some good value somewhere. Like, for instance, if a child's in the hospital, in a children's hospital, they've got their own storm, right? And that if they have cancer, for instance, that treat those treatments are coming and it's scary. It's scary when the doctors come in and you're in the hospital and different things are happening. But if you looked at it 
as the parents say, we say, this is what we have to do to get healthy instead of here's the scary thing that's coming. It helps them turn it around in their minds and, and have hope and have a positive, more of a positive look about their treatments and why they're in the hospital. I will say that I was definitely one of those kids that was afraid of thunderstorms, as my parents will attest up to a pretty late age. <laughs> if it was thunderstorming overnight, I was knocking on their bedroom door uh, until all that lightning was away. So uh, for me, it would have had a direct correlation, but that makes sense to your point. It doesn't necessarily have to be a literal comparison for kids. Right, right. Like my parents are divorced, so it could be something like that, heaven forbid, you know, but it happens. Or, you know, lots of, lots of things. We're supposed to have a thunderstorm tonight. So sometimes when the parts of the thunderstorm that make me most anxious, I think one of them is the wind. So when the wind picks up really, really, but I keep, I tell myself the part of the story still as an adult, like why, like why the wind is good, why the wind is good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and hey, you could even build on that, that once you get over one thing, then you once another storm comes up, then you can say, I was able to get through the last thing, so I have it in me to get through the next thing. Right. I'm like, how many thunderstorms have I lived through? I'm going to be 55 soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's best not to so, count. <laughs> yeah. So it's okay. But, you know, some storms are worse than others. And in our lives, some of those storms are, you know, worse than others. So we've talked about some other activities that parents may or may not do in conjunction with the lessons in your books. Is there anything that we haven't talked about or anything that you would really emphasize that parents should do either, again, in introducing the concepts along with the books or just other habits or activities that would help solidify the concepts that you're trying to get across? Well, I think um, you can just start with the story, reading the story together and then open, let conversations open like don't worry about starting with the first word and then just going through the story let the story stop at a natural point if your child has a question and you know like why why is the just ask maybe asking the child's asking about the porcupine like why why does nobody want to hug the porcupine and then you could talk about how it has that, you know, porcupines usually have these pointy quills and, you know, how, let's imagine how hard it would be to want to hug a porcupine. You have things like that. That's what the kids stop me while I'm reading, which is great. I mean, I love it when I'm, I'm reading, I have interactive readings and we'll stop and we'll talk about things. And they, they'll have big questions in the middle, and that's perfectly fine. Some of the teachers are like, no, questions at the end. And I'm like, no, questions during the whole story. This is great. So we can really dig deep into these stories. My kids would love you because I don't think I can get more than two pages into our bedtime reading before they're stopping me in the middle. And admittedly, sometimes I have more patience for it than other, depending on how long it took us to get their bath completed. So uh, they would definitely agree with that concept that answer their questions then so they have a better understanding of what you're going over. We had books in the bathtub. We had those books that could get wet. Mm -hmm. So... um, when my kids were really, really little, they would be playing with the book, and I would read them a story while they were in their playing in their bath because they're captive audience. Right. <laughs> so I started a lot of the stories that way, 
and then um you know, ended up finishing at bedtime. Unfortunately, I did work a lot of nights because I, I was teaching dance and tutoring. So my husband had the privilege of, of doing all the story time, most of the story time. Maybe I'm trying to make up for it now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, your kids are in their 20s. That's all right. They can they can do for a bedtime story. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. And then I have them read them before they're like, you know, what do you think? Is it, what do you like? What do you not like? So they pr- practically have them memorized before they're even in, in book form. My poor kids. That's just part of being part of the family, I would imagine. One last question I had for you is, have you ever come across a parent or even just gotten the question in general, if they're struggling to communicate these concepts, uh, either again, through your books or just otherwise um, with other activities? I find it's kind, it can kind of be the opposite because kids usually are born wanting to be kind and having that giving heart. And even before they can even, they're even verbal, they'll come over and give you a leaf or a flower. I don't know if you've ever seen a kid do that. Um, they want to give, they want, they are kind. And I think what happens as we get older, that kindness starts growing out of us. And we have to be a mirror or I, you know, I'm talking about myself. I have to be a mirror for my own kids. And that I think is the, sometimes is a hard part to adjust our own reactions to things and our own acts of kindness to reinforce that into little kids who I feel like already have that. And they were, they were born with that inside of them. Going back to one of the first concepts we were talking about, it's those actions. And when they see the actions that you're doing and hopefully they mirror the things you're saying, but if they don't, it's going to be those actions probably that they're going to stick to whether it's interacting with your spouse, let's say, or, how you're interacting with them that probably will have more weight than just what you're telling them to do. Uh, so yeah, I think it would make sense to be very aware of the way that you're interact, not only interacting with the kids, but interacting with other people when they are around. Right. And not just family members, just out in public. And, you know, if you, um, if you visit the school and you volunteer, it's, it's how you're acting, you know, reacting to the teachers and the other students and they're watching. I'm sure everybody's had some of those moments where your kid parrots back something that you get immediately embarrassed because you know exactly where they heard it from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have a a quick story of my, I was driving, my son was, um, you know, they were in the, my kids were in the car seats in the back and somebody had pulled out right in front of me and scared me. And that sometimes when those four letter words come out, like when I'm terrified. Right. And so everything's fine. And I'm driving along. And about one minute later, my son says, asked me in the back, he goes, mommy, what does jam it mean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we don't say that word. I said that word because mommy was scared and I shouldn't have said that word. That's a bad word. And then he, about a day later, he drops up the thing, goes, jam it. And I say, Connor, we don't say that word. And he goes, oh, you're right, mommy. We don't say that word. And he didn't say it again. So yeah, they, they do mirror what you what you do. 
Wendy, that was all the questions that I had for you. Before we end, do you want to go ahead and give folks your contact information, how they can get a hold of you on social media, and then maybe any upcoming events that you have to let folks know about? Sure. Um, LinkedIn is um, red hot right now. There's a lot of fun and exciting things that are happening on LinkedIn. You can find me there. And then on my website, wendykilhula.com. And then you can find all my books on Amazon. Perfect. And I will make sure to link to all of your contact information as well as links to your books on Amazon. Wendy, I had a great time talking to you. Before we sign off, is there anything that you have in mind that we didn't touch on? No, I think I think we covered a I hope everybody gets the app. I hope you at least try the app for yourself or for a child in your life. Speaking for my family, there are certainly um, some ways that we could implement it in our day-to-day lessons and what we're trying to instill in our kids. So I would encourage folks to go ahead and do that. Well, again, Wendy, I really appreciate you taking the time and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Greg. Have a great day. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be notified of future weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to help us even further, visit suburbanfolk.com and you'll find a donate button where all the money goes back into the show for you. Thanks for listening. Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All the Time podcasting network with 12 other great podcasts. Head over to suburbanfolk.com for links to their shows. We're also part of the Ring Media Network. Go to ringmedia.com to learn more. That's R-R-I-N-G media.com.